In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And this is the point of the gospel lesson, that you show mercy to others as he has already shown mercy to you. God is merciful to you, and that means that he has promised to not give you what you rightly deserve. For our mountain of sin and guilt, God ought to condemn us and damn us forever. And yet he has not, and he will not. Rather, he handed over his own son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die for you. And instead of punishing you for your sins, God has promised you the joy of a clean conscience and eternal life. So I want you to engrave this into your heart and mind that the very essence of the Christian faith is the mercy of God who, for Christ's sake, has blotted out your sins. And for this reason, the very essence of Christian love is that you have mercy and forgive one another. So the first point I want to make is this. Notice that Jesus doesn't say be merciful as God is merciful. He says very specifically, be merciful as your father is merciful. And that's how Jesus speaks in this text for today. He says, he says, a disciple, he says, your father, your brother, his teacher, so on and so forth. And this is significant because Jesus is not speaking to unbelievers. He is speaking to Christians and to the church. So when Jesus says, judge not or condemn not and so on, He's not telling you how to win his favor and how to become a child of God. Rather, he is teaching you that you already are. He is implying that you are, that you already belong to God in Christ. And for that reason, you ought to show mercy to others as he has already shown to you. This, is, this text today is about how Christians are to treat one another in their homes, in the church, in the workplace, in every place. Now, the first thing Jesus says is, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. So you've heard these words ripped out of context, I'm sure, as I said before the service. Uh, the world takes these words to mean, look, you can never tell me that I'm wrong, so don't judge. And that's so painfully, obviously, not what these words mean. Uh, I've preached on, uh, on this very thing at length in the past, uh, and I would repeat it today, but it would be another 30-minute sermon, which uh, you may not like. <laughs> uh, so the point is this. Uh, don't be, uh, the point of, uh, of Jesus' words is this. Don't be judgmental of one another and quick to condemn one another. Rather, be merciful and forgive. All right. So that's all I'm going to say about those words today. What I really want to cement down in your minds is what Jesus says after this. And th these are the words, I'm going to read it again. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So, 
What is Jesus teaching us with these words? He is teaching us how to consider our own sin and how to call one another to repentance. He's teaching a very simple lesson. God wants you to view your own sin with far more seriousness than your brother's sin. God wants you to view your own sin with more seriousness than your brother's sins. So on the one hand, regardless of how good or bad a person is, God wants you to view his sins, your brother's sins, as if it was simply a speck of dust. (laughs) In other words, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you explain everything that they do in the kindest way. On the other hand, God wants you to view your own sin very seriously. He wants you to see your own sins as the real problem, as a deep corruption within you. Look at your own sins more seriously than your neighbors. All right. Why does Jesus feel it's necessary to teach this to us? (laughs) Well, it's because he knows that we are so naturally inclined and tempted to do the exact opposite of this. Ordinarily, we act in the reverse. What we tend to do is view our own sins as tiny little specks of dust, as these little minor insignificant things, and we paint ourselves in the best light. We ascribe uh, the purest motives and intentions to everything I say and do. It was always done from a good and pure heart. That's how I interpret me, right? (laughs) My, My own actions. Meanwhile, when your neighbor does something, when it's your husband, your wife, your coworker, your friend, whoever else, we view their sins as massive logs, as tree trunks sticking out of their eyes, monumental transgressions that are overwhelmingly large compared to what I've done. And so we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We put the worst construction on what they do and we paint them in the worst light. We convince ourselves what I did is not a big deal, but what you did is the serious problem. If you're honest with yourself, I kind of saw this while preaching this. Uh, I saw you nodding your heads uh, in agreement saying, yep, that sounds like me. This is a good thing. In case you need further proof of this, just consider the things that come out of your mouth. How easy is it for you to complain about others. How many hours have you spent in your life rattling off how terrible, evil, incompetent, unloving, stubborn, useless, or stupid everyone else is around you? If I asked you, look, has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever sinned against you? I'm willing to bet that all of you could blurt out who did it right now 
without thinking, without having a moment to think what they did, how they did it, when they did it, what they were wearing when they did it, right? The day of the week, all these sort of things. You, you know this. It is engraved into your memory. You, you remember it so vividly. You wouldn't have to think about it. Now, now compare that with the years, the years you've been talking about the seriousness of other people's sins and how you remember that. Compare that to the amount of times that you have confessed your own sin. Compare that to the amount of times you've gone up to someone and said, um, someone you've hurt and said, I've sinned against you. And this is what I've done. And I am so sorry. Forgive me. Compare that to the amount of times you've gone to your own pastor in private confession and said, Pastor, I've done something wrong. I need help. I am struggling. My sin is serious and it haunts me. I need God's mercy and I need his help. How many times have you done that in your life? How many times have you talked about the enormity of your own sin? Or do you consider your sins to be serious and grave? Well, it just so happens that most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time when people do come to speak with their pastors, uh, they, and, and in, in my own experience, when they come to speak with me, uh, they come to speak not so much about their own sin, but about other people's sins, sins against them. Uh, they say what others have done, how terrible or wrong it feels for them. Now, I'm not dissuading you from coming to talk to me. Uh, about these things. In fact, do it and keep doing it. Uh, God's word comforts us even when others sin against us. But the point I'm making is this, that we are much more comfortable talking about someone else's problems than our own. We can fire off a thousand things that someone else has done wrong, but when we have to admit that this is what I did and I'm the one who is guilty for this, all of a sudden, it becomes the hardest thing in the world. We, we just can't do it. We can't bring ourselves to this place to say, I'm guilty of this. I, I sinned, and it is serious, and it is a big deal. Um, uh, just a footnote here in the sermon. Uh, for those of you who have talked to me about your own sin, you know who you are, and God bless you. Uh, there aren't many. It's few, but don't stop. Keep coming and repenting and receiving forgiveness. Uh, for those of you who haven't gone to private confession and absolution, uh, you should. It's not a terror, but a comfort. And in fact, you ought to see how people come in and how they leave. <laughs> uh, someone comes in with their head hanging down, ashamed, embarrassed, uh, guilty. They confess their sin, and I announce the forgiveness of Christ them for that specific sin and they leave like a new person and and it's like you can physically see the burden of guilt lifted off of them they're standing tall they're smiling they're not worried anymore they're happier they go on with their day knowing that god isn't angry with them that he forgives them that he loves them um, so this is just a footnote on private confession absolution uh, you, if you are haunted by any of your own sins, do this. Seek this comfort. Okay, uh, back to the, to the sermon. 
Uh, the point I'm making is we need to call each other to repentance and we need to do it after we ourselves have genuinely repented of our own sins. Repent of your own sin first and then you go to your neighbor and tell him how to repent. If you don't, then you are the blind leading the blind and you're both going to fall into a ditch. If you don't repent, you cannot bring someone else to repentance. So now I can think of no better place to practice these good works and to do these good things, to live this Christian life, then first in your own home, with your own family, with your own spouse, with your own children, and so on. Um, the best place to live mercifully is in your own marriage and home first. Uh, the home is what the devil attacks first and foremost. In fact, uh, when we see problems come up in church between members or meetings or troubles and explosions, these sort of things, it's a fairly good sign that there may be some problems stemming from elsewhere, more specifically the home. So the Apostle Paul wrote about being merciful. And he talked about godly conduct in a marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and Paul addresses the particular situation of what happens when a wife's husband is unbelieving. Uh, that is, she has a husband who is either in the process of falling away or one who has fallen away from the faith. And he says what she is to do when he is rude and harsh or unloving to her and vice versa. So 1 Corinthians 7 says this, If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. So what does this mean? I'm going to use a real life example of this. So around the year 300 AD, there was a woman named Monica. And she was the mother of St. Augustine. Uh, if you don't know, St. Augustine is one of the best known and most influential Christian theologians in the world, hands down. Uh, she was a Christian, but her husband wasn't. And in fact, he didn't believe in anything. And because she was a Christian, she resolved to be kinder and more merciful to him than he was to her. So she resolved to outdo him in showing honor and love and respect. Well, after some time, we don't know how long, but her husband, who was very harsh with her at first, relented. And he repented and he became a Christian. And the other wives who were in the same situation, they asked her, what happened? What, what, what did you say? What's going on? And this is what she said. She, she told them, she goes, be patient, submit to and obey your husband, and with friendly words, appease him. If he scolds me, I pray. If he is angry, I give him space and speak kindly to him. And in this way, I give him no reason for anger. And her own husband saw her life and realized that she was stronger than he was and he saw that she was a better person than he was. And he saw that she was content in the Lord and joyful in her salvation, even while enduring trials from her own flesh, from her own husband. And when he saw this, 
he saw that he was the one who was unloving. He saw that he was the one who was judgmental. He was the one who was condemning and angry and unhappy. Meanwhile, she was content because she knew the Lord was with her. She was merciful to him, not because she wanted to get anything. She was merciful because the Lord was merciful to her. And so he learned how to be a true Christian, not only by her speech and prayers and by her reading of the Bible to her own son, but also by her constant mercy upon him. Now, this is an example of a wife who won over her husband with mercy and forgiveness. And this goes for husbands also. If your wife is the aggressor, win her over with mercy and forgiveness. This goes for your entire household, for the entire church. You win each other over by mercy and forgiveness, not with force and not by condescension, not by condemning or judging each other. You win each other over with forgiveness. This is how the Lord won us over. He didn't threaten us into salvation. His loving kindness and mercy is what gives us salvation. And so for this reason, be merciful. Because many times when the angry and unloving ones will see your good works and your mercy, they realize how awful and unloving they are. And their heart breaks and they repent. In other words, your being merciful to others can cause them to be merciful to you. Now, if you see someone if you see someone being merciful and forgiving and being kind and loving to you when you know you don't deserve it, when you see someone being patient with you in the midst of your anger and you simply get angry all the more, then God have mercy upon you. God will judge you for it. Vengeance is the Lord's. God will save that kind and merciful person from you one day. But no one will save you from God. When you're so angry and wrathful against those who love you, you are asking for God to deal with you the same way you are dealing with the other. You're asking God to deal with you according to his wrath and his anger. If you will not relent, the Lord will give it back to you with the same measure of anger with which you judge, God will judge you. Remember, you cannot escape God's judgment on you by judging others, by putting them down, especially in your own home and in your own church. On the contrary, the more harshly you judge, the more harshly God will judge you. The only escape you have from this judgment of sin is by turning to Christ on the cross and repenting to the one who bore the judgment of God against you. Christ's death is on the cross, is for your relief and your rescue from condemnation that you deserve. He is your salvation. Now, for those of you who are on the other side of this, if you are being loving and kind and you see nothing in return, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Just hold on and don't let anyone else's anger or bitterness against you corrupt you or bring you down. 
This life is very short and so is the pain that we suffer. Endure it patiently, knowing that the Lord loves you deeply and that he is kind and he is merciful to you even when other people aren't. God will take care of you and he provides for you and he speaks well of you even if others don't. God is merciful to you. Cling to him. And on the last day, he will release you from all anguish and he will bless you with joy more than you've ever known. Your present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. God is merciful to you in Christ. He has forgiven all of your sins. Be merciful to one another. Forgive each other. I'm going to close by reading the epistle lesson, Romans chapter 12. Just listen to these words. Let love be genuine and abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, give to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be merciful as your Father is merciful to you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.